Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petucci. And, and this, this is... is- the Science of Motherhood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 26 of the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Renee White. Today, we have a fantastic guest who you will all remember from episode 23, Dr. Natasha Vavrek, who is a GP, a Possums accredited practitioner and director of the practice in Launceston, Tasmania. The bubble. You will all remember how passionate Tash is about women's health and fertility and pregnancy, and also her newfound love of supporting women during menopause. So, we got Tash back on the podcast because we wanted to talk about the big C, um, COVID, and the changes that are happening both in women's health and in particular pregnancy and postpartum. So in today's interview, we're going to be walking through things like what happens with COVID when you're making the baby, growing the baby and holding the baby and and some preventative um, measures that you could take. And also, if you, in fact, actually contract COVID, what are the types of things that you can be doing at each one of those stages? Fertility, pregnancy, and then also in your postpartum. Tash provides some really, really great insight and tips for all those to-be mamas and mamas, including breastfeeding and vaccinations. And we also talk about periods as well, because there's been some recent research around the COVID vaccinations and the effects, if any, on people's menstrual cycles. So that was also another little tangent that we kind of went off. But I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast. Here's Tash. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Dr. Natasha Vavrek. It is your second time. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me again. (laughs) My pleasure. So for all those who've been hiding under a rock who haven't listened to the previous episode, Dr. Natasha is the director of The Bubble, which is in Lonnie, Tasmania. Um, She's a general practitioner and we love her because she's a huge possums advocate. She's an accredited possums practitioner, special interests in obviously pregnancy planning and antenatal GP shared care and a newfound love for supporting women during menopause. Now, Tash, we have got you on this episode because I'm very keen to talk about all things fertility, pregnancy, motherhood, menstruation, and the C word, COVID. <laughs> There's the clickbait, people. So Tash is going to walk us through today what I have um, so eloquently put together as making the baby, growing the baby, holding the baby, and what effects COVID may have, if any, on each one of those stages. So we're looking at fertility and 
Contraception. Yeah, maybe we could talk about that too. Conception, Renee. Pregnancy and then those early kind of newborn postpartum days. So, Tash, let's start with fertility and conception and we're talking about COVID. So, are there any things that you're kind of suggesting or any words of wisdom that you're giving your clients at the moment around COVID and things to kind of be cautionary of or anything like that? Yeah, it's interesting. We've had quite a few couples that have been considering delaying their fertility journey because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, if you've got the time to wait and you just say you're in your early 20s, then that's not such a bad thing. But as we do get older, then we probably don't have the luxury of that time. So I My general advice to those couples is if you feel now is the right time to start your family and you would have otherwise, if you know, in in during normal times, then go for it because you never know what your fertility journey is going to be like. Of course, we hope that, you know, the first month you start trying, you fall pregnant, but then for other couples, it can take a lot longer. And this pandemic is not going away anytime soon. No. (laughs) <laughs> you don't want to look back and regret not having, you know, started earlier. So I guess that's the first thing in terms of uh, fertility. And then I guess the other is just, you know, to get started and, and go through all the normal pre-pregnancy planning that we touched on in the last podcast. And 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 the pandemic shouldn't have too much of an issue with that. If anything, people are working from home, so more of a chance to connect with your partner and make those babies. <laughs> Any time of the day you like, just hit that. Do not disturb on the Zoom meeting and get cracking people. I've seen a few I've seen a few people who are kind of putting together it's probably a bit of a home remedy concoction of like vitamins and minerals and things like that to kind of ward off the covid spirits. Are there any certain things that you're recommending or is it just business as usual? You know, the stock standard, make sure that your iron levels are good, your folate's there, your choline, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. All the same stock standard stuff, obviously trying to avoid catching COVID, but uh, there there is no evidence to suggest that taking specific vitamins or minerals is going to help prevent you from catching COVID. If you're eating a, a well-varied diet, getting lots of fruit, veggies, meat, you know, then there's no need for those supplements. Mm-hmm. Of course, we don't know too much about long-term effects of actual COVID infection, so the best thing would be to try and avoid it, and so that's where we you know, start to talk about hand sanitization, wearing your face mask, socially distancing, you know, not trying to be part of big groups, that kind of thing to avoid getting the actual virus. But everything else is exactly the same. Just start, start trying, take your folate, your pregnancy multivitamin, you know, reduce your alcohol, uh, if you're a smoker, look at stopping or reducing your your cigarettes and and just looking after your overall health and having fun with it. We don't want to get too serious about things. The important thing is just to have fun with it. Yeah, lots of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's say a mama's looking at becoming pregnant and then they actually become infected with COVID. Is that something where, I mean, I don't know about you, I don't think I would have the energy I haven't had COVID yet, but from all the sounds of it, 
it sounds like you're not going to have a lot of energy. So do you <laughs> just put the baby make into the side? Like what, do you have any tips or? Yeah. Look, I think if you, and you know, we are seeing more and more people in the community having COVID and we've seen a huge spike in patients in, you know, the 20s getting COVID. My, if you're sick and at home, you're probably not going to feel like a little bit of hanky-panky. So my yeah. advice is to rest, lots of fluids and just supportive management. Uh, luckily, we haven't had that many people that have needed hospitalisation, particularly in our younger age groups. The other thing is if you have a partner at home who isn't in, infected, you probably don't want to be giving uh, <laughs> the jobs to your partner. Uh, so best to distance yourself in that aspect. I guess the other thing that I probably should have touched on previously is and what can we do uh, in, in preparation for fertility is get vaccinated. We know that vaccination um, does decrease the severity of the illness uh, and Pregnant women who are unvaccinated are at a higher risk of admission into hospital, admission into ICU and requiring respiratory assistance. So that would be the number one thing. Get vaccinated if you're not already. And if you are already vaccinated, then if you're due for your booster, then now is the time to be doing that and getting that done because you want to be as protected as you can be during your pregnancy. Absolutely. Okay. And let's, great segue, let's talk about pregnancy. So... You're pregnant, depending on what trimester you're in, is that going to have a different effect as to whether you um, catch COVID in terms of the effect on you and your child? Or is it the same thing? Are you going to, I mean, you're going to be knackered anyway in the first trimester. So I really hope you don't catch COVID then. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I was a complete zombie <laughs> when when I was in my first trimester. Actually, I don't know if we spoke about this on the previous podcast, so I'm, I might be sharing again with you. But when I was, I think I was around mm, eight, nine, ten weeks, I would sneak into the office toilets and just rest <laughs> rest my head on the on the toilet roll holder just have a little kip for about 10 minutes because I was I was like just I was sitting you know at a computer for most of the day and I thought to myself if I don't shut my eyes for like 10 minutes I I'm just going to fall flat on my face in this office right now so you're probably going to be exhausted already in first trimester let's talk about things to kind of mitigate against, obviously, that fatigue and everything if you catch COVID. Mm, yeah. And look, you're right. I think at different stages of pregnancy, uh, having a COVID infection will affect you differently. Mm -hmm. And I've had lots of women from all different stages of pregnancy with COVID. Luckily, they've all been vaccinated. So their level of illness has been quite mild and they've been able to be managed with the COVID at home program. Look, in first trimester, yes, Women are exactly, as you described yourself in your pregnancy, absolutely fatigued and tired. Yes, we do have some women who are just that notice no difference whatsoever. So mm -hmm. I guess they might fare a little better if um, they did get um, COVID. But one of the main symptoms of having a COVID infection is extreme tiredness and fatigue. What I've noticed, and, and you know, this is pure anecdotal here, but uh, most women will have a couple of days of extreme fatigue and tiredness. But they're isolating, they're at home, they're resting, and then the rest of the time they're feeling quite well. Of course, in if you are unvaccinated, then the potential for that is going to be quite 
quite bad and can get significantly worse and, and head into, you know, respiratory illness. So we, we don't ideally don't want to get into that space. Second trimester, look, second trimester, third trimester, you know, baby's getting a little bit bigger. And so we do have increased risks of prematurity with COVID in- infection. Once again, less of a risk if you're vaccinated and much more of a risk if you aren't. And, you know, with hospital admission, you know, that can range from just, you know, monitoring all the way up to ICU and requiring machines to help you breathe. And late last year in the UK, they found that one in six patients that were in ICU requiring ECMO, which is a machine that helps you breathe, were unvaccinated pregnant women. Now, obviously, if you're in that situation, there's a high risk of um, not only prematurity, but still birth as well. So, These are all really quite significant effects from the virus, which we definitely want to avoid. But luckily, data has shown that vaccinated pregnant women tend to get away with a fairly mild to moderate illness and recover quite quickly. Mm. And you mentioned the COVID at home program. Mm. Now, everyone knows that I'm from Melbourne (laughs) originally. I don't recall Victoria having this program. Is this yeah. something exclusive to Tassie? And and what is it? Can you describe it to us? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it, it might be something exclusive to Tassie. Obviously, I'm not sure what the other states are doing. The, uh, the COVID at home program is where uh, if you are diagnosed with a positive test, so whether that's a PCR or a rat test, and with the rat tests here in Tassie, you register your results online, then you will be contacted by someone at public health who will ask whether you would like to enrol in the COVID at home program, which is where they will have regular check-ins with you uh, via the phone to um, see how you're doing and you get access to uh, things like a thermometer and a pulse oximeter, so a little device that goes onto your finger to check your oxygen levels. And as and they'll continually to check in to get those results. And if there's any concern that your oxygen level is dropping or your condition is worsening, then they will facilitate um, admission into hospital. It's a program to keep people with COVID out of hospital and, you know, people that don't necessarily need to be in hospital, but gives them the support uh, rather than just being left to their own devices. For most people who feel quite well with their COVID infection, then they don't need to enrol with the COVID at home program, but just continue to isolate uh, for the seven days. And if they continue to have ongoing symptoms, continue that isolation for another three days. Mm -hmm. And is there any additional support for women who are pregnant in that program at all? And or if they, you know, do become COVID positive, should they be, I don't know, checking in with their GP or obstetrician a little bit more? Yeah. So usually, well, with my patients who have been diagnosed with COVID, I've been lucky enough to have correspondence back from either their midwives or obstetricians, and I also um, am CC'd into those results. So I'll usually give my patients a, a call and, and and see how they're doing and perhaps a, a couple of calls follow up just if they are if I am worried about them. They can still access they can access the COVID at home program and I think they are encouraged to participate in that program. So they do have a little more contact with with public health. Their midwives and obstetricians are also uh, notified about the infections and so they will also keep touch with them via phone calls. 
If uh, there is any concern about baby or the patient, then they are straight to the hospital and the hospital have provisions in place for positive COVID pregnant patients. Um, they've got rooms that are put aside for these patients. Um, but luckily, I've not had any of my patients require admitting. Yeah. Okay. All right then. And and then it's game time. So mama mm-hmm. goes into labour and she's off to the hospital. So we've just touched on the fact that there's obviously special provisions for COVID-positive mamas. Do you know, because it's obviously changing and it's a huge contentious issue at the moment, particularly in Victoria around birth support people, and it continues to change and it's been really, really anxious time for pregnant mamas. And we have seen a huge spike in home births and and mm. I guess the hiring of private midwives to facilitate those births at home because the changes and the flux in the guidelines. And I think what is even crazier <laughs> is that each hospital seems to be taking their own view on what the guidelines are. So in some respects, they're like, oh, yes, have a, have a birth person or have two. And then, you know, the hospital down the road will be like, actually, no, none, mm-hmm. none. Yeah. So do you know what the current guidelines are in Tassie around that? Yeah, so, look, we have to keep in mind that the, the plan is forever changing. Yeah. It really is. So. And we don't have a lot of COVID infections here in Tassie at the moment for all those playing at home. <laughs> We're a tiny little yeah. island of, of, Tas- <laughs> of Tasmania, of Australia, and we've been in isolation for some time. So I don't think we're seeing the full effect. So that's the context of where we're at at the moment. That's right, yeah. And so I obviously can't speak to other states. And I can um, comment on what's happening up here in the north of the state, and that very well could be different to the south. Yeah. Uh, I think the first thing that people need to understand, and I absolutely get that women and their partners are freaking out and stressed. I've had that many stressed mothers call. And unfortunately, this, you know, this pandemic, it changes every week. So I think it really is you just got to go with the flow and see what's happening that week that you're going into labour. But the hospital is putting into place as many measures as they can to keep their patients safe and to keep their staff safe. But they also recognise that this is such a beautiful moment in every couple's journey mm-hmm. and they want to facilitate a, a beautiful birth and, uh, and a welcome to, you know, to this side for a little baby. So they are trying their hardest to ensure that a support person can be there in the room with them. The latest here in the north of the state is, you know, when a couple arrives, then they are, they are rat tested. Uh, obviously for a mother, no matter what, she is going up to the ward and no one's going to be delivering babies in the car park. Now, partners who are COVID positive actually can attend the birth. Wow. So I think this is really important to be aware of. And of course, this could change. But at the moment, if your partner is COVID positive, they can still attend the birth. They just they will just be put into a uh, one of the COVID rooms. Mm-hmm. And the partner needs to be in full PPE. Mm-hmm. The only exception is if the partner is symptomatic, mm-hmm. then that obviously creates issues and may not be able to be part of that birth. 
Gotcha. So as long as you're asymptomatic, you can still enter, but you do have to wear the the mask and the whole PPE precautions. Yeah. As for the mother, obviously, regardless of whether she's positive or not, she's still entering the hospital and having her baby there. Mm -hmm. If she is positive, then precautions are taken. She's popped into the room. And staff also take extra precautions in terms of full PPE wear and in those rooms. Of course, if their results are negative, then they um, precautions like sanitising hands and face masks for staff and patients mm-hmm. have to go ahead, but it's a little more relaxed in that sense. In terms of other people being present, no, um, we can only have one uh, support person present at the birth. Um, so whether that's a partner or a family member or a doula, it's up to the, the mother to decide. Mm-hmm. Then we move into the space of, okay, well, what happens if there's an emergency, okay? And mum needs to be rushed up to theatre for an emergency caesarean. Now, if they're both negative, that's not a problem. If the partner is positive, then they won't be able to enter the theatre. Gotcha. Um, obviously, that needs that's a, an area that is of high sterility and they do need to be very cautious. So that's the one space where um, they're unable to enter. Uh, they can still be there part of a uh, vaginal delivery, which is, I think, fantastic that the hospital has been able to facilitate this. Yeah. So, look, that will probably change, no doubt, by the time this podcast comes out. (laughs) At the moment, as of last evening, that's what uh, is happening up here at the north of the state. In terms of uh, appointments, kind of before that birth, if we can step back, yeah. I know that in the GP shared care space, partners are still welcome to those appointments and the same with private obstetricians. I think the hospitals do need to put a few extra precautions in. Mm-hmm. But, look, everyone is trying their best to have as you know their support person there involved. So if, you know, so the hospital is still the safest place to be having your baby and so well, we really don't want people making risky decisions and I have heard some some pretty scary stories of people planning delivery at home with no midwife support and um, just family members who may be a nurse. So I think we need to do this properly. If you're interested in home birth, then make sure you go through all the right protocols. But at the end of the day, the hospital is going to be the safest place for that to happen. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm so glad that a support person can be there. <laughs> but as you said, it just... It will change. Like this is just the world that we're currently living in. So, look, I I would encourage all I encourage all pregnant women to have that discussion with their midwife or their obstetrician and their GP as they get closer to that date. What is what What is happening? Can I have a support person? Can I have an extra person? What you know? Discuss it with them at the time, and they'll tell you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and the I guess the follow on from that is you know, those newborn days where, (laughs) and this is kind of like our end of the spectrum as as postpartum doulas, people are coming to see you and the baby and then you're starting to think, oh, hold on a minute, (laughs) what are our chances of getting COVID in those newborn days? And what we're seeing at our end is that a lot of people are being very, very cautious because now Bubs is Earthside. We're having families who are essentially not leaving the house mm. for 
six, eight weeks and being very, very particular with the people who are coming into contact with them. We have had a couple of clients who have tested positive, including their bubs, mm. um, which has been, you know, a little bit sad for them. But again, what would your, what's your advice for for people who have just had a baby and mm. you're kind of thinking about what what precautions could you put in place to kind of mitigate against that COVID infection? Yeah, look, I can understand families are really concerned about their babies getting COVID, um, concerned about themselves getting COVID, and obviously it's it's out there. The one big thing that we have to be aware of is our own mental health in this postpartum space. Yeah. And that is, you know, that can decline really quickly. And if you are holed up at home with just, you know, your partner and bub and not seeing anyone and not getting any sunlight, then, you know, you're it's almost certain that you're going to head into some form of postpartum, you know, depression or anxiety. So we want to avoid that as much as we can. And we want to avoid COVID. Women, you can still, women and babies can still leave the house. We encourage everyone to get out of the house at least once a day. And whether that's just walking up your street, walking around the block, driving to a park and getting some fresh air, then then that's what you do. It is still really important to get out and get some exercise And most people are really good at at distancing, you know, and parents who are concerned that people are going to come up and touch their babies, then, you know, that's just where your mama bear comes out. (laughs) (laughs) But so it totally can still be done. Uh, You know, up here in the north, they are still running, you know, mums and bubs, Pilates classes and exercise classes and things like that but with precautions in place. So mask wearing, social distancing, appropriate ventilation. We're seeing the use of air purifiers more now. Mm. So lots of facilities are implementing these strategies to ensure that we can still have mums and bubs attend these activities and get out of the house and socialise. You can still go to a park with a friend and, 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 you know, catch up that way. Uh, and so you might not be comfortable having people in your home, but getting out and about, the weather's beautiful at the moment and, and this is a great time to enjoy. As a, an, a possum, possum's uh, NDC practitioner, we encourage lots of sensory nourishment for baby in those first few months of life. So that's getting out and letting bub feel the fresh air on their face and hear the noises and, and see the shadows from the trees. And that's just so, so beneficial for their development, you know, especially in this early stage as all those neural pathways are being laid. As important as it is to avoid COVID, it is just as important to get that sensory nourishment for the baby and for mum and dad as well. So, you know, just pre-planning those things and, and getting out. You know, a lot of people have said it's been lovely to not have visitors in the hospital. Um, so that actually works to parents' advantage, I think, um, where they just get that time to bond with their baby yep. um, and, and when they get home just after. Uh, you know, and then on top of that, just taking all those precautions. If you have friends or family who are unvaccinated, then Perhaps this is not the time to be catching up with them, but we've got wonderful video calls that, you know, services that you can use, like um, what we're doing today, um, and lots of ways around it. You could also encourage those people to get vaccinated, Uh, you know, hand sanitizer all around the house, 
you know, appropriate ventilation throughout the house. You know, you can spend time outside on the deck catching up with people. There are ways around it. So we don't need to become complete hermits during this time. Yeah, I kind of, I'm thinking back to the really hardcore lockdowns that we experienced Mm -hmm. in Melbourne and one of my friends in particular, I recall her saying to me that she had just had her baby and families would do (laughs) drive-bys. So she would stand out the front, like on the lawn, you know, feet in the kind of grass and getting that sensory experience for herself. And this is what we were limited to, right? So we just had to do what we could do. And, you know, carloads of family would kind of come past and hang out the sunroof and wave to this new baby and things like that. And that's, (laughs) it seems crazy, but that is what she had to do. And yeah, she did the same thing, like walks to the park really, really helped, I think. But getting out every single day is so important, like just so, so important. And even for the mums, like myself and Mika, we kind of employed that whole slow postpartum in those first 40 days. But at the same time, exercise was fundamental for me in particular, I can speak to, because exercise was my therapy. And so if I didn't get out every day, I definitely noticed that kind of going into that nighttime period where I knew that I was going to be waking three, four, five times overnight, I just like my headspace was just not on point. So yeah. And look, I think if you, if mamas are worried or if they get COVID or things like that. My other suggestion, which we found works really well, is get people to make you food Mm. (laughs) because you're going to be so tired as it is from COVID plus the baby and just having that beautiful nourishment as well will be able to help you along your way. So if people are kind of looking to help mums who are COVID positive, that is your first port of call. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And anyone that contacts you, tell them that, you know, don't bring, you know, I don't need a present, just bring me a a casserole or something. Yeah, leave an esky out the front of your house and just say, text me when the meal's there. (laughs) Like Uber Eats but, like, better for you. Yes, exactly. And that's the best thing you can do for for a friend, you know, um, having a baby during this time. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it is such a difficult time, and I do feel for all those mummers that went through the Melbourne lockdowns last mm. year because that must have been incredibly difficult. And and I guess being in Tasmania, we really don't understand the extent of how hard that might have been. So well done to all those mummers. <laughs> yeah, it's it, I've, I'm finding that it's a different wave now. So we've dealt with the mummers in isolation and lockdown, and and having to adapt to those kind of conditions and now the world has just like, well, Australia has kind of like flung open, bar WA. (laughs) (laughs) And so now, you know, they're dealing with a whole new bag of of issues which is actually contracting the virus. So Mm. I think, oh, I don't know which basket I would want to be sitting in, probably 
probably this one. The lockdown was an absolute killer. For, like, as you say, the isolation, locking yourself in a room for like, or your house even. There are not enough rooms in a house. <laughs> Anyone's house. I don't care how many rooms you've got. You need to get out of the house. 100%. Yeah. Okay. So we've kind of covered all of those facets. So I think the takeaways from that are, you know, vaccination is the number one preventative measure. The research has demonstrated that time and time again and that, you know, just be really careful with who you're interacting with when you're pregnant and particularly before, um, like, the game time day. I know I think that's probably the only time where I've actually gone, yep, okay, that's all right to kind of become a bit of a hermit because I know so many mamas are like, I really want my partner to be there or I really want my support person to be there. So I think in terms of isolating yourself, like, you know, that one, two-week period is probably probably tick of approval on that one, I would say. Absolutely. Look, I've got so many mums that are are due um, at about this time now and um, they have, yeah, they haven't been doing much. And and I think that's fair enough. And so, and their partners as well. Yeah. And um, I don't think they should be like COVID or no COVID. It's like this is the time to kind of take it all in and just, you know, strip away the societal kind of pressures as well and, what we have been saying to our mamas in our prenatal sessions is use COVID as an excuse to just be like, no, radio silence, you know, I'm not kind of taking calls and I'm not doing social events and things like that. And it's giving them a really great opportunity to just prepare themselves mentally, physically and emotionally for the arrival of this new baby. So COVID does have a few silver linings. And the other one I wanted to touch on, which you raised earlier, is that in the hospital or, you know, at home when you've had your baby, having no one around has shown that women are establishing kind of breastfeeding practices with more ease because they've had the time without distraction, without interruption, less stress. So let's talk about breastfeeding as our last point. What's what's kind of the research around if mama contracts COVID, what's the what, if any, is there kind of a change in breastfeeding? Is it safe? You know, we were discussing earlier offline the fact that it may, it reminds me of, you know, the contentious issue of HIV positive women breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. And for all those playing at home, I used to be a HIV medical researcher. So what's the go with COVID, Tash? Are women... Are women being a bit more cautious? Is there some sort of um, myth debunking that we need to be talking about here today? In terms of breastfeeding, you can continue to breastfeed. We do not want mums to stop breastfeeding. There are obviously, you know, if you're the mum with COVID, you don't want to pass it on to bub and you are, you know, in that breastfeeding position, you are very close. So there are things that you can do to try and prevent that, which is wear a mask and use hand sanitizer, but we absolutely want you to continue your breastfeeding journey and that can absolutely be facilitated with a COVID-positive mother. 
depending on how severe the, your illness is of having the virus, I mean, there could be a change in milk supply. Mm-hmm. So as women are, when women are sick and they may become dehydrated, then breast supply can drop. So we need to be aware of that. And women need to be in touch with their GP, patient consultant, whoever it is, quickly if there is concern of that dropping. But it's the same as usual, just those extra precautions. We're lucky that, you know, the data has shown that babies, you know, with COVID, particularly Omicron variant, they're really well um, and are not affected too greatly. So, but you still want to be taking those precautions to try Mm -hmm. and prevent it. But no, my advice is keep breastfeeding. Don't stop. Don't feel like you have to stop. And and are we assuming that, you know, it's standard protocol in the sense that if mama is positive, then her body would therefore be generating antibodies towards COVID and therefore she would also pass those through to bubs like any other kind of virus that she would have contracted normally? Yeah, yeah. So, um, in terms of the the virus, you know, yeah, you would you would certainly think like with other things, you, the mum's body creates these antibodies that go through into the breast milk and provide a little bit of protection to the baby. So that's a reason to continue breastfeeding and even and even the vaccination. You know, a lot of women are concerned about the vaccination, but we've got plenty of data to indicate its safety. You know, not only in pregnancy and, and fertility and conception, but also breastfeeding. So you can still go ahead if you're due for a, a booster um, while you're breastfeeding. You can absolutely go ahead and get that done. And for those mothers who avoided a vaccine during pregnancy, a lot of them have said that they were keen to get one after the baby is born. Then you know, absolutely safe to do so in pregnancy. But you know, overall, it is safe during pregnancy and breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you for that. Now, our last topic, which I'm very excited to talk about because I'm all things menstruation and periods and everything. I'm like doing like this deep dive into this topic. Um, At the end of last year, I was reading that book, Into the Flow, and I've forgotten her last name. Is it Alyssa? I'll work it out. Anyways, so I have been hearing and seeing some anecdotal kind of data around changes in women's menstruation after the COVID vaccination. Now, some people, and as as the latest was someone last night on Instagram had said that their 52-year-old friend who thought that they were like well into menopause after their vaccination, they got their period, Hmm. which I thought was very interesting. And other friends of mine have said, you know, that they've reported more pain or large clots or changes in, like, in timing. I personally didn't, I didn't experience any change in pain. There might have been some larger clotting, but I think we're all about debunking and demystifying and bringing in the science. So, Tash, explain to us, is it the vaccination or is it something else that could be responsible for these changes? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting. And, um, you know, I think um, 
you know, everyone's been watching this and, and waiting for the studies to come out on this because, yeah, there have been quite a few people that have noticed these changes in their menstrual cycles and severity of flow and things like that. I guess we have to also remember that these are, you know, it's all anecdotal um, yep. and so we really need to see some studies that cut to come out to um, to show what's going on. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely had patients and, and um, you know, I wonder if part of it is, you know, you're, you're thinking more about your cycle. So, you know, you're thinking, okay, what, you know, I've just had a COVID vaccine, so you're going to be a little more on edge about what's happening in your life and or this little ache and pain or, you know, that period seemed a bit heavier. Um, is it just coincidental? And, you know, that, that case you just mentioned about, you know, postmenopausal woman with bleeding, well, I mean, you know, is that just, is it the vaccine or is there something else going on that's a little more sinister? Because, you know, we've got to remember that before the vaccine came along, Lots of women had irregularities in their cycle and it's not completely abnormal to have one or two cycles that are a little off to others. A lot of women will have experienced, you know, a skipped period during times of stress in their life or a shorter cycle or a slightly longer cycle. So we do have to keep all that into, in consideration that, you know, not every woman's cycle is, is perfect. Bang on. <laughs> Variation is normal. And actually variation of, you know, up to eight days can be normal as well. So we, you know, that's that's just general life. So there, there was actually a study that was released recently where women tracked their cycles via an app and they had three months of their cycle tracked before the vaccine and three months after the vaccine. And there was a control group that uh, tracked six months' worth of um, cycles. And the findings were actually not statistically significant. There was only a variation of a few days. And so this so far is one of the, the biggest studies that we've got on this. And the other studies that are coming through are showing similar results, that there isn't any a real effect on, on your cycle. And the thought is that it's not actually the vaccine that's causing these changes, but more our own immune system and our response uh, to to certain things. So I think overall it's fairly reassuring. We don't need to be worried about our menstrual cycles. You know, a change in cycle, you know, of a few days is nothing to be worried about. A cycle that has a slightly heavier flow or a little bit of pain is nothing to be concerned about. Of course, if it's continuing, then you do need to get checked out by your doctor because it could be something else that's going on and we don't want to just assume that it was the vaccine that caused those changes. So with with the, this kind of concern, I am worried that women will ignore their symptoms and, and link it to the vaccine, where it could be something more sinister in women who are postmenopausal and start bleeding. Well, that does need to be investigated because that could be an indication of endometrial cancer. So change in cycles that are persistent need to be reviewed by a GP. Mm, yeah, that's kind of, I haven't read that paper, but I found a few other ones and the it was consistent in the sense that, you know, they'd shown that even the HPV vaccination resulted in changes in people's menstrual cycles mm. and things like that. And it's not the vaccination per se that is doing it. It is the immune response that is created once that vaccine has been administered. And I think that's one of the fundamental issues that we keep seeing over and over again around this. And it doesn't matter whether it's a vaccine or mastitis or miscarriage or whatever it is. But I think women need to understand that there's kind of coincidence 
there's linking and then there's causation, you know, and people need to look at the fine print in terms of what is actually a causation. I saw a really great, and I'm not down for reels on Instagram. (laughs) Just don't have time for them, but amen to you if you've got time for those to make them. I find them very laborious. But someone did a reel and it was essentially, it said something like, increased consumption of ice cream is related to drowning. (laughs) And you know what? (laughs) Because people in summer eat more ice cream and more people in summer go swimming and more people in therefore in summer would be kind of related to drownings. But there was a really long way to get to that. And that's what people need to understand if you don't have a scientific background and you're not looking for that fine print and that kind of critical analysis around that linking and or causation, don't fall into the trap of thinking that that equals that because it doesn't. So I think that that's something that we like to highlight on our podcast. You know, we want to make sure that our mamas are being informed and empowered with the correct information. So don't believe everything that you see on a reel. <laughs> most misinformation is from social media. Um, that is not the place to be getting our information from. No. Um, you know, your information needs to be coming from, you know, your GP if you have particular concerns and that's the person to talk to. Uh, Look, it's completely understandable that women have fears, particularly at this time in their life when they're looking at conceiving and and, and they're pregnant. And I I get that, you know, I definitely had those fears to begin with. Um, But, you know, uh, at the end of the day, we do have to, um, you know, put some trust in our our health professionals. Um, you know, we are, you know, we're not being told what to say by big pharma. We're not being controlled by the government. We are just following science and science doesn't lie, you know, and, and we know, we know we've got enough data now um, to indicate um, safety of the vaccine, like I've already said. And we know, we know that there is a greater risk of severe disease, admission to hospital, ICU, ventilation and death if you are unvaccinated. Um, and in terms of pregnancy, like we've been discuss- discussing, there's increased risk of prematurity and stillbirth compared to, um, you know, a, a, a vaccinated mother. So that is the data that is out there and that is real and um, and there's no umming and ahhing over that, but there's a, we've got plenty of data um, by now. So if you are concerned, you need to talk to your GP. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for this chat, Tash, and thank you for clarifying things as well. Like it's just been, to me, crystal clear because I know that mamas or to-be mamas are, you know, as we've discussed, can be quite anxious about this time. But, yeah, don't delay on the baby-making people. (laughs) COVID, COVID's here to stay, but you may as well have fun while it's around. That's what I would kind of, (laughs) that's my word of advice. (laughs) Absolutely. But go see your GP first. Yes. Pre-pregnancy planning done. There's so much that we can do to make sure that, you know, you're ready to go, you know, make sure all your vaccination status is up to date. You know, we can do genetic carrier screening tests. We can do all kinds of things now. Um, So you're all good to 
to go. Um, and it doesn't take long to get those results. Yep. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today, Tash. Really appreciate it. Pleasure. And again, it won't be the last time, let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then you have a good one. See ya. Bye. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.